0: Well, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, as we continue our worship in the Word, can we take a few moments to bow in prayer and then we'll dig into it. Heavenly Father, we come together rejoicing in our hope in Jesus Christ, in life and in death. That is our confession. Our hope is in Jesus Father, this morning as we continue our worship in your word, we pray, Lord, that you would give us hearts that are not hardened, but softened to the truth therein. We pray, Lord, what we know not, that you would teach us. What we have not, give us, and who we are not in Christ, that you would make us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's an Irish blessing that goes like this. May the road rise up to meet you. May the wind always be at your back. May the sun shine warmly on your face. May the rain fall slowly and gently on your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hands. You know, I like that blessing. And that blessing is a good description of what it feels like to be blessed. But the question I want us to consider this morning is, what do you do in seasons of life, and difficult days, when life feels more like a burden than a blessing? What do you do on those days and in those seasons of life when the, the wind doesn't seem to be at your back and the, the road doesn't rise up to meet you? What do you do when the sun feels more like a scorching heat rather than a warming one? What do you do when the rain is not falling softly on your fields, but is falling violently, destroying your crops and flooding your land? What do you do in those seasons of life and on those difficult days when life feels more like a burden than a blessing? This morning, that's what I want to continue to walk through and talk through in light of God's word in the letter of 1 Peter. I'd invite you there this morning. 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 12 to 19 together. The letter of 1 Peter that we've been reading, that we've been studying, is a letter that invites us to see suffering through the lens of Scripture. To see suffering through the perspective of heaven. See suffering from the perspective of God. What we're reminded in the letter of 1 Peter is that because suffering is inevitable, we need to know how to prepare for it and endure it when it comes And so, as we consider the perspective of God concerning suffering that we may experience, adversity that we may go through in this world, I want to take some time to talk on this. How does God use our pain to accomplish his purposes? How does God use our pain to accomplish his purposes? As you make your way there in your Bibles, 1 Peter 4, Peter is writing to a people, as we've been talking about, who are facing growing pressures of persecution. Growing hostility from the culture around them. And these are individuals who feel more burdened than blessings because, feel more burdened than blessed because of that. Yet Peter instructs them and encourages them to see things from God's perspective and see God's purpose behind their pain as we do this morning. Would you stand in honor of the reading of the word? How does God use our pain to accomplish his purposes? Beginning in verse 12, we read this. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. The word of the Lord. You all may be seated in the presence of God this morning. This morning, I want to take some time in light of our text to talk about how God uses our pain to accomplish his purposes. As we walk through our text this morning, the first thing we're going to see in verses 12 to 13 is God uses our pain to strengthen our faith. As you open the text in verse 12, we see how God strengthens our faith in times of adversity, in times of suffering, even in times when pressures of persecution surround us by means of reminding us that we are beloved. As we said earlier, Peter is writing to a people who feel more burdened than they feel blessed. But Peter doesn't take the opportunity to remind them how they feel. Peter takes the opportunity to remind them of who they are in Christ. He reminds them that they are beloved. You know, times of suffering, adversity, and difficulty are often the times when we find ourselves questioning God the most. God, why me? God, why are you allowing this suffering to be experienced by me and my family and my loved ones? And so we question God's love for us and we question God's care for us in times of adversity. And Peter focuses not on how we feel burdened, but reminds us in the midst of the adversity, you are loved and you are cared for by your Savior. Peter doesn't just remind them of God's love for them and God's care for them, but His love and care for them as well. Can I take a moment to encourage us in the body that there are times when we find ourselves suffering in silence, suffering in isolation, we express our need before the Lord, but we don't all, always give the fellow brothers and sisters in Christ the opportunity to help bear our burden and carry that weight that we're carrying. May I encourage you in light of these instructions as Peter, writing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, reminds these believers that they are beloved in the face of adversity, loved by God, but also loved by Him, and therefore loved by the brethren. That if ever you are facing adversity, don't suffer in silence. Don't suffer in isolation. Find those in the body that you can be transparent enough with to help carry the load. To help bear your burden and to help care for you and love you. As God allows fellow believers in the church to minister in that capacity. And so Peter begins and he reminds these believers they are beloved, loved and cared for by God, loved and cared for by him, and therefore it follows, loved and cared for by fellow believers in the church. If ever you and I have an opportunity to minister to a fellow brother or sister in Christ in a season of adversity, experiencing suffering, experiencing various trials of many kinds What a wonderful opportunity we have to remind them when they question it the most that God loves them and God cares for them and that you love them and that you care for them. In times of adversity and suffering, sometimes we say, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do. Simply be present and remind them, God loves you and I love you. God cares for you and I care for you. Peter first reminds us God, strengthens us through our pain by reminding us that we are beloved even in times of adversity. Secondly, by giving the instruction to respond to suffering, to respond to fiery trials by expecting them, not being surprised by them. Expecting trials, fiery trials and suffering and adversity instead of being surprised by them. Uh, as we read the text in verse 12, we see that we are not to be surprised first with the reality of suffering that we may face. Verse 12 puts it this way, beloved, do not think it's strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. Christians and believers are reminded that it should not be a surprise to us that we suffer, it should be a surprise to us if we ever don't. Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, because they persecuted me, they will persecute you. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, yes, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. The surprise should not be that we not suffer. The surprise surprise should be that that, that we do not suffer. The surprise should not be that we do suffer. And so he reminds us that we should not think it's strange that we should experience the reality of suffering. You know, I want you to know this. God loves these believers enough and God loves you enough to prepare you for the suffering and the adversity that you're going to face in this life and in this fallen world. If God didn't love these believers and if God didn't love you, he wouldn't tell you the truth. God loves you enough not to lie to you. It's similar to um, a counselor who has the opportunity to counsel a new couple who's engaged and they're looking to get married and they come in to the counselor's office, maybe the pastor's office, and they want biblical counseling and you get to sit down with them and, and as you sit down with them, they inform you that everything I've learned about my partner up to this point, I've liked. Everything I've learned... About my partner up to this point, I've absolutely loved. And as a counselor, you love them enough not to lie to them. You love them enough to tell them, listen, you may like everything you've learned about them up to this point, but there will come a day when that will no longer be the case. And some of the things you thought you liked and loved about them are the very things that are going to annoy you. And if you're going to prepare this couple for a lifetime of marriage, you're going to tell them there is going to be adversity you're going to face. There's going to be struggles you're going to walk through together. You're going to walk through hard seasons of life together. But if Christ is at the center of your marriage, he is the one who's going to get you through to the other side. And so you love them enough not to lie to them, to tell them that, yes, you may experience suffering and you're going to bear one another's burdens as you do. But God is at the center of that marriage. A coach cares enough for his athlete that he will not lie to them. You know, today maybe you had trouble getting to church this morning because there's a Eugene Marathon going on. There are runners running throughout the streets here in Springfield and in Eugene. And if you were to be, find yourself being coached, in order to run a marathon, the, the coach would like you enough, would love you enough not to lie to you, to to tell you that that in order to run the race on the race day and get to the finish line, you've got to prepare and endure and experience suffering along the way. You know, somebody doesn't just wake up and say, okay, this morning I've decided to run 26.2 miles. No, it, it takes time to build up to that. You start one week on six miles, you go up to eight miles, you go up to 12 miles, but every time you increase your endurance, you're going to experience suffering along the way. But as you go through that suffering, what motivates you to get to the end is that finish line when you receive the prize and you get done with the race. God loves us enough not to lie to us. In this world, we will experience suffering We should not be surprised by the reality of suffering. We should expect it. Secondly, we shouldn't be surprised by the intensity of suffering and the variety of suffering. Notice how the kind of suffering is described here. Not only should we be prepared for and expect the reality of suffering, but the the kind of suffering, the intensity of it, fiery trials. We're talking about painful ordeals. The extent of suffering these individuals are experiencing are pressures of persecution that are not going to get better, but are going to get progressively worse. And yet, they are to prepare for the intensity of suffering. You and I may experience intense suffering in this life, in the fallen world that we live in. Expect it. Don't be surprised by it. Not just the intensity, but the variety. If we go back to chapter 1, in verses 6 to 7, Peter wrote this, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by what? Various trials. There are a variety of trials, a variety of difficulties that you may face in this world. Verse 7 says, That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The kind of suffering we may experience is to be expected in terms of intensity and variety. But also, thirdly, don't be surprised, but expect the source of suffering. Now, for these believers, if we go back to chapter 4, verse 4, Peter is writing to these believers who were once in the world. And those who were once their friends are the very ones who now slander them. And the reason they slander them, they're surprised by the fact that you are no longer living the same way you once lived because they want you to join their sin so that you'll justify it in their eyes. And what they end up doing when you don't continue to live the same old lifestyle is they may slander you, they may ridicule you, they may mock you, they may isolate you, but don't be surprised by the source of your suffering. In this world, you may experience suffering in your own family, you may experience suffering for the cause of Christ in the workplace. You might experience suffering from government authorities. For them, in the years ahead, as Nero comes to, comes to power and continues to go about his business, he's going to literally put these Christians to death. Use them as candlesticks in his garden, burning them at the stake, burning them alive in order to light up his garden at night. Don't be surprised by the source of your suffering. And then fourthly, expect, don't be surprised by the purpose of your suffering. What is the purpose? We read that verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, the painful ordeal, which is to what? To try you. God uses pain through suffering that we experience in our lives to strengthen our faith. He allows adversity and struggles, pressures of persecution in order to strengthen our faith, to try us, to test us. This is the same language used of gold that passes through refining fire. When gold is passed through the refining fire and the heat of that refining fire, it is tested and it is refined as it is purified of any impurities in the process. You and I go through fiery trials. You and I go through painful ordeals as a means by which God tests our faith and purifies our faith, and in doing so, strengthens our faith, so that after we've gone through the fiery trial, after we've gone through the painful ordeal, we, may come, we might come out stronger and purified on the other side. Now, some people think that suffering is a reason that God is not present, but, but when you experience suffering, it is not a sign of God's absence, it's a sign of God's purifying presence. And God is working through that trial, working through that suffering, working through that adversity, using that pain to strengthen your faith and to strengthen my faith. And so we see the purpose behind the pain. And so, God strengthens our faith by reminding us we're beloved. He strengthens our faith by means of the command to expect suffering. Don't be surprised by suffering. And then thirdly, he strengthens our faith by giving us a reason to rejoice in the face of adversity, in the face of suffering. Peter continues in verse 13, and he begins with the word but, a conjunction of contrast that says, instead of being surprised by it, I want you to rejoice in it. Now, if you're going through a season of suffering and you still know these verses, you know James as well, it's never easy to hear rejoice in suffering. But this is the encouragement to us as believers. It doesn't tell us to rejoice for suffering, it tells us to rejoice in suffering. I don't know about you, but I'm never rejoicing in the fact that I'm experiencing pain and excruciating pain in times of intense suffering. Uh, We see that elsewhere in Scripture. In James 1, 2 to 4, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Don't thank God for the suffering or the pain. Thank Him for what He's accomplishing through it. Thank Him for the results. Verse 3, Knowing that the testing of your faith, what does it produce? Patience. But let the patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. We don't thank God for the suffering, but we can thank him in the suffering for the results our suffering and adversity brings. Romans 5, 3-4 says, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. We don't rejoice for the suffering, but for the results that suffering brings and then as we read in our text we get to see not only for the result it brings but in verse 13 but rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings that when his glory is revealed you may be glad with exceeding joy How does God strengthen your faith and mine in adversity? He gives you and I a reason to rejoice. Our reason to rejoice is not just because of the results it brings, but because we have the opportunity to share in the suffering of Christ. We are most like Christ in times of suffering for his name. In In Acts chapter 5, verses 41 to 42, we get an image of what it looks like to rejoice in suffering. After the disciples, the apostles, are preaching, the gospel and they're asked to stop this is what it says chapter 5 verse 41 so they departed from the the presence of the council this is Peter who's writing this letter among them rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name and daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ What an opportunity we have when we get to share in the sufferings of Christ. And so the reason we have to rejoice in sufferings is because we get to share in Christ's sufferings. But secondly, those who get to share in the suffering of Christ now get to share in his glory later. And the kind of joy you and I will experience is an exceeding joy. Let me read that text to you again. It says but rejoice in the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings that when his glory is revealed you may also be glad with exceeding joy. James 1:12 said blessed, says, blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he has been approved he will he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Can I share this with you this morning. If you ever train for a race, a 5K, a 10K, or a marathon. Marathon's on our minds this morning because they're running about everywhere. Can I tell you my favorite part of any race, especially a marathon? It's the end. It's once you cross the finish line because the suffering is over and there's nothing like receiving the prize at the end. Not the medal you get, but the fact that you don't have to run anymore. (laughs) This morning, you may be running the marathon of life and facing adversities. And the kind of sufferings you've experienced may be intense. They may be frequent. They may be a variety of kinds. But the hope that you and I have if we suffer now is the glory of God later and the blessing that we will experience doesn't compare to the present suffering we may face in this life. Someone sent me a testimony that was being shared by a a gentleman by the name of Granger Smith. He's also a musician and in this particular clip he was sharing his testimony about a trip that he had taken to the slums of Cambodia. And having never been there, experienced poverty like this. He said, if I could describe for you what it was like to be in these slums, he said, it was the closest thing to hell on earth. He said, you take a look at uh, the people who are barely surviving on the amount of money they're making, barely eating enough food to survive. There is plenty of reasons that their health is not where it should be Floods would come through on a regular basis and kill young children and kill the elderly. And he was invited to come and he was invited to head over to a small church because not only is there poverty there, there is great spiritual darkness there. The majority of religion is is that of Buddhism and As he made his way over to the church, there were uh, children singing in there. And the lady who was leading, he pulled Granger Smith aside and said, Hey, uh, our kids here, they don't know a lot of songs, but they know one song. They know the song called, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And they said, would you mind leading uh, the kids in that song? And so he brought his guitar up. And he said, I remember this song because I learned it in Sunday school. I've always heard the words, but I never truly grasped them until this moment. And then he started to sing as the children lifted up their hands and were dancing and were singing, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart, down in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart to stay. Then he said it hit him. As soon as he hit the chorus, and I'm so happy, so very happy, I have the love of Jesus in my heart. He said as he looked out at the poverty on the outside and the spiritual darkness on the outside, he said, what perspective do these children have that they can shout for joy in the midst of the suffering that they're experiencing all around them? This is the perspective that we are invited to have as Christians and as believers, regardless of the adversity we may face, regardless of the pressures of persecution that may surround us, regardless of the slander people might give you because of the the classmates that you have, because of the office mates that you have, because of those who are in your circles of influence, even in your family, the way they treat you, you have the joy of the Lord in your heart and nothing compares to it because as you share in his sufferings now, you will forever enjoy and share in his eternal glory later. And let me tell you, it will be worth it. God uses our pain to strengthen our faith. And I invite you to, to pray three things in light of these verses. The first one is to ask God to remind you that he loves you and cares for you. And so does your church. If you're facing adversity and suffering, when you face that suffering, may you be reminded you are beloved by God and beloved by your brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't suffer in silence. Don't suffer in isolation. Secondly, I, I pray that we could pray that, that God would help us suffer well, knowing that suffering is to be expected. We should, not be, we should not be surprised when we suffer. We should be surprised if we don't. And then thirdly, that we would ask God to fill our hearts with the joy of sharing in his suffering now and the joy of sharing in his glory to come because there will, there will be nothing like it. So how does God use our pain for his purposes first? God uses our pain to strengthen our faith. Our, my prayer this morning is that God would strengthen your faith through the adversity you may be facing today or the adversity you might face tomorrow. Secondly, uh, God uses our p- pain to bless our lives. To bless our lives. Verse 14 reads this way If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed. Are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you? On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. If you are reproached, if you are ridiculed, if you are insulted, if you're in the school system and you're sitting next to a classmate and they find out you're a Christian and a believer and they mock you or insult you because of that, count yourself blessed. If you find yourself in the office and they learn that you're a follower of Jesus, you attend church, and your value system is different than the value system of the world because you're just a pilgrim, a sojourner passing through. You've got a purpose here on earth, but you are in the world, but not of the world, and you are insulted, ridiculed, or mocked, or isolated because of your profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Count yourself blessed. If you're in a family and they know that you're a Christian, and they ridicule, mock you, isolate you because of your commitment to Jesus and the values that are, that are described in His Word on all matters, when you experience suffering and ridicule, count yourself blessed. Because it doesn't matter what they think about you. What matters is how God sees you. And what it means to be blessed is to to receive the favor of God over us. What matters at the end is when you enter into heaven and the Lord turns to you and says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. If ever you should experience reproach for the name of Jesus Christ, count yourself blessed. Why? Why should you count yourself blessed? Because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. What is the Spirit of glory and of God? It's the Holy Spirit. What we're reminded of here in this text is that in times of suffering, God, knowing that the Holy Spirit indwells us as believers, blesses us in a unique and powerful way to help us endure suffering when it comes upon us. Consider yourself blessed because the Holy Spirit rests upon you. Any of you go to the gym and work out? If you ever find yourself on the bench press, you put some weight on there and uh, you bench press a number of reps. And after you bench press it, maybe you want to try to bench a little bit more. And so you want to max out for the day. That's how they say it. And so you say, put on more weight. And so I want to see how many reps I can actually push out today. And, and I, want to, I want to challenge myself to push, push the most weight I've ever pushed before. It's a good idea to probably get a spotter if that's going to be you. And so you invite somebody to spot you. And, and the spotter, you know what they do for you is, is they let you push on your own. You, and you, you, you push and you strain. But there comes a certain point where you can't push or strain no more. You come to the end of yourself. And that spotter is there. And sometimes you're like, hey, buddy, you better help me right here because I'm about to die if you don't assist me. And as you get to the end of yourself, your spotter is there to assist you and carry that weight. When you experience suffering in your life, it is an invitation to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells you. Suffering is an opportunity to be reminded of our deficiency and our inability to carry the weight on our own and to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit who resides in us. I don't know about you, but when I read about stories in the scriptures of guys like Stephen or you read about the martyrs of the faith throughout Christian history, I can't think to help but think to myself, God, I don't know if I would stand firm in the face of that trial, that fiery trial, that tribulation, literally when you're being burned at the stake. But you know what God tells you in that moment is grace is sufficient for you. Because in those trials, in those tribulations, his strength is made perfect in weakness as the Holy Spirit of God enables and empowers you. Let me read to you in the book of Acts, Stephen. And you really get a picture of, you really get a picture of, of the spirit of glory and of God being described here. Acts chapter 7, verse 54. It says this: when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, relying on the Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. God gave him a supernatural strength in this moment and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses, laid down their clothes at the feet of the young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Do not repay evil for evil. We saw that elsewhere in scripture. How can you stand firm in the face of a fiery trial like this and persecution? Relying on the Holy Spirit because that's what suffering gives you an opportunity to do. And you hear what he says, right? You hear what Stephen prayed? God, don't hold the sin against them. Do you know who was among the crowd who was holding the clothes of those, their outer garments, so that they had full ability to throw these stones at Stephen? You know, you had to take off the outer garment. I mean, if you're going to really stone a guy, you need to, somebody to hold on to your, ton, your, to, out, out, your outer ton, tonic in, so, in order so that you can really throw those stones. Who's holding that? Saul, whose name is also Paul. And how did God answer the prayer of Stephen? Well, one of the guys by the name of Saul, who is also known as Paul, is a man who would not only be saved for the cause of Christ, but would preach before Jews and Gentiles, before the ordinary and the extraordinary, preach the gospel before governing authorities. Only can you do that when you're relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. Why is that a benefit? Because you're not relying on yourself anymore. You're relying on God who's providing all things. C.S. Lewis was once asked, Why do the righteous suffer? And he answered, Why not? They're the only ones who can take it. This morning, that is so true. And the reason, in light of God's word, is because we rely on the Holy Spirit in those times of intense sufferings. And so, God uses our our pain to strengthen our faith. God uses our pain to bless our lives. And then in verses 15 to 16, God uses our pain to examine our hearts, to examine our hearts. Verse 15 reads this way, but... But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. What we're reminded of here is to examine our hearts. And there are different ways that you can suffer. You can suffer unjustly, but you can also suffer justly. And what the invitation here is for Christians to do is to examine their hearts. And if you are experiencing some kind of suffering, and you're experiencing suffering not for the name of Jesus Christ and glorifying him, then you better check yourself. And as you check yourself, as you examine your heart, these are the things you should not be suffering for. Because if you are suffering for these, you deserve it. The text says um, in verse 15, "...but let none of you suffer as a murderer." You kill somebody, you take someone else's life. Not only is that against the law of God, it's against the law within our, within our nation. And so murder, a thief, an evildoer, then he, he describes this third one, adds, puts them in the same category. He says, or as a busybody in other people's matters. In the same category as murderers, thieves, and evildoers, he says, don't be a meddler. Don't put your nose where it doesn't belong and be causing trouble where you shouldn't be causing trouble. And so if you are meddling in other people's business and you are doing so not in glorifying the name of Jesus, you should check yourself. Examine your heart. Psalm 139, 23 to 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart if you ever find yourself suffering, take time to say, God, am I suffering justly or unjustly? Because if I am suffering justly, make sure, Lord, I I know how to correct this and help me to, to, to follow your path and what I need to do. Psalm 139.23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of the everlasting examine your heart check your heart allow God to check your heart and then secondly not only examine your heart for 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 why you might be suffering justly but also if you should suffer suffer as you glorify God yet if anyone suffers as a Christian let him not be ashamed but let him glorify God in this manner in this matter um This is an opportunity for for all my, my Bible scholars in the room. Do you know how many times in the New Testament you see believers referred to as Christians? Only three times. In Acts, two times. And in our text here, one time. The believers in the first century were often referred to as followers of the way. Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And the reason believers were called Christians was actually used as a derogatory term. And so if there were individuals who were were Christians, they would would, uh, call them Christians as they described them as little Christs. And so even in this context, this is the, the, the third time in Scripture outside of Acts where the word Christian is used to describe believers. What a wonderful way to be described as little Christs. Reflecting who Jesus is. Sharing in his suffering now so that we can share in his glory later. And if you suffer, may you do it to the glory of God. As you take time to examine your heart, can I give you two questions to ask yourself in regards to suffering you may face? And I encourage us, even when you say, you know, I am suffering unjustly. I am suffering for the name of Jesus. Ask these two questions if you have the opportunity. The first one is this. Is this trial due to some sin in my life? Am I experiencing suffering because of an attitude, an affection, or an action that is outside of God's will in accordance with his word? Am I suffering because of sin in my life? Secondly, can I glorify God through this trial? Because if you think, I can't glorify God through this trial because I've messed up or I'm meddling in people's business or I'm not doing what I should be doing, take time to answer those two questions. But if you are suffering suffering, unjustly. If you are suffering for the name of Jesus Christ, do it to the glory of God. God uses our pain to examine our hearts. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a good example of an individual who suffered for the name of Jesus Christ but did so enabled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. On April 5th, 1943, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was arrested and imprisoned by the Gestapo for his resistance to the Nazi regime in Germany. For several years, he had spoken out against the Nazis and eventually had caught up with him. As he saw his country sliding into the abyss, he felt that he could not remain silent. Two years later, only a few weeks from the end of World War II, he found himself at Buchenwald concentration camp facing the death The death sentence. On Sunday, April 8th, he led a service for other prisoners shortly after the final prayer. The door opened and two civilians entered. Prisoner Bonhoeffer, come with us, they said. Everyone knew what that meant, the gallows. Quickly, the other men said goodbye to him. An English prisoner who survived the war describes the moment. He took me aside and he said this, This is the end, but for me, this is the beginning of life. The next day he was hanged at Flossenburg Prison. The SS doctor who witnessed his death called him brave and composed and devout to the very end. Through the half-open door I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer still in his prison clothes, kneeling in fervent prayer to the Lord his God. The devotion and evident conviction of being heard that I saw in the prayer of this intensely captivating man moved me to the depths What an example of a man who suffered for the glory of God to the very end. Who suffered, sharing in Christ's suffering in this life, living in light of the glory that he would share with Christ in the life to come. What a great example of a faithful follower of Jesus. God, he has purpose behind our pain. How does he use our pain to accomplish his purposes? To to strengthen our faith, to bless our lives, to examine our hearts. And thirdly, this morning, to invite us to trust him more. He uses our pain to invite us to trust him more. I'd like to suggest this morning in light of our text, God allows us to experience pain through adversity and suffering, even pressures of persecution in order to do for us what pleasure could never do for you and for me. Pain can do for us what pleasure cannot. How did God use this pain? First, he used this pain to purify his church and to judge the world. We read about that in verse 17. It says, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? When it says, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, the kind of judgment that is being referred to here is the purifying suffering that his church goes through. And so the the purpose of this judgment in which we experience suffering for the cause of Christ is an opportunity to test our faith and to purify our faith of any impurities. And what Peter is saying through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, if God was was willing to judge his church and not allow them to continue with these impurities and bring them through this process of sanctification. How much more? What terrible will it be for those who reject the gospel and who fail to receive Jesus as their Savior and their Lord? For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel? Verse 18 it states almost the same idea as, the, as, it, as it quotes, Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? What's being spoken about here is the process of salvation. Now, salvation is a threefold process. Salvation begins first with justification. Justification is the moment... That you trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And when God looks at you, you are declared righteous. You are declared to be in a right standing before God. That's the first part of salvation. You are justified by grace through faith in Jesus. But our saving work is, is also ongoing. So we are in the process of sanctification as well. Every day... You are not perfect, but you are being perfected. You are being transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And one of the ways he purifies you and sanctifies you is by allowing suffering, adversity, even pressures of persecution to happen in your life. As he brings you from where you are to where you need to be as you look more like Jesus every day. The final process of, of salvation is glorification. One day we will be like Christ and we will be glorified. But at the meantime, we are being sanctified. So it says, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, if in this process of salvation, it's this difficult as the, the, the believers experience this kind of suffering that is to purify them, how much more those who are ungodly and the sinner who will stand before God in judgment. God uses pain in a way that, he, that pleasure cannot be used in the sense of purifying his church and judging the world. And then thirdly here, God uses pain to invite us to trust him more. The text says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as the faithful creator. In the book of Job, Job is a good example of of what it looks like to trust God through trials. Job is a man who experienced suffering, but he didn't understand why. We do. If you read the book of Job, you learn that God allowed Job to experience intense suffering, lose his family, lose his, his children, lose his wife, who basically told him, curse God and die. What's the point? What's the point of continuing on to live? And Job says, you know, should we expect good and not ill from God? Uh, God gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He lost his health. He he lost his well-being. He lost his livelihood, his finances. He lost everything. And at a certain point in the book of Job, he takes God to task. He questions God. He, He has the questions that we have. He felt more burdened than blessed. He said, God, why would you allow this particular suffering to be experienced when I haven't done anything wrong and basically God tells him who do you think you are paraphrasing here he basically tells Job you know gird the gird up you know I'm going to question you and he basically says I'm God and you're not and after God confronts him This is how Job responded. This is how his faith has been tested and refined. In Job chapter 42 verse 5, Job says this, I have heard you by the hearing of the ear. I have heard what you have done, Lord. I have heard that you are the creator of heaven and earth and everything in it. But now my eyes see you. Job is an example of a man whose faith has been tested and whose faith has been refined through the suffering he has experienced. And while Job didn't get a lot of his questions answered, he got the one question answered that he needed, that God provided his presence all throughout his trial and his tribulation. And Job says, now I see you. This morning, I want to invite you, if you are experiencing any adversity or suffering, trials of tribulations, pressures of persecution, to lean in to God. To experience what it looks like to trust Him fully. To to come to the end of yourself so you can rely on the power of His Holy Spirit. So you can conclude like Job, I've heard about you, but now I see you as you are. I tell you in that moment when you hit rock bottom, the only thing that you can grab is the rock of Jesus Christ. What a blessed moment that is because you're not relying on yourself anymore. You may have read about him, his faithfulness and his trustworthiness, but now you experience it and it's not just something you read about. It's your personal relationship with him. And what he invites us to do is to entrust ourselves to his care. Commit ourselves to him. The word commit or entrust, it may be translated in your translation, is, is a banking term. It speaks, speaks of depositing that which is valuable in the bank so that they will guard it and protect it and take care of it. And so what we are doing, invited to do with our suffering and continuing to do good is entrust it to God's care, knowing this, that if you suffer... And you share with Christ's suffering in this life. The guarantee is you sh- will share with his, his glory in heaven to come. But can I tell you this this morning. You can't entrust your suffering to his care. Until you first trusted in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. If you're here this morning and you haven't made Jesus your Savior. You haven't received forgiveness of sins. If you died today and you went to heaven. You know that you don't know if you would get in or you're relying on your good deeds, the invitation this morning is to abandon any other means of getting into heaven except for trusting in what Christ has done on that cross. He died on that cross for our sins. He paid the debt that we owe. And he provided a path for us to be reconciled back to a holy God because of the separation of our sin. Today, this morning, is the day of salvation. If you haven't trusted in him, I want to invite you to do that. And as you entrust yourself to him, as you receive salvation, and trust any suffering that you may experience as well. Never forget, God has a purpose behind your pain. Allow him to strengthen your faith. Allow him to bless your life. Allow him to invite you to trust him more. Can we pray? Father in heaven, my prayer is for all of us this morning, knowing that suffering is inevitable. For those who are facing great adversity, trials, tribulation in their life today, or if they should face it tomorrow, I pray, Father, in the midst of suffering, they would have the same testimony of jo- as Job. God, we've heard of you and what you've accomplished and what you've done. But Lord, we want to see, we want to experience what it's like to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to provide for us everything we need in this life to live for you. Father, if there's someone here this morning who has never trusted in Jesus as their Savior and Lord, And wants this morning to just put words to the the, the change that has occurred in their heart. I pray that they can express this aloud. Father, you know, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I was born into this world separated from you, God. But I know that's why Jesus came. He came to die on a cross, to bear my sins, to forgive my sins, in order that I might have a right relationship with God. I make Jesus my Savior. I make him my Lord, the one I will follow all the days of my life into eternity. Father, thank you that you walk with us and you take care of us. We pray that your word would continue to be a light into our feet and a lamp into our path. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.